This path will lead you to an unholy place. A cemetery. Boys and girls, we are here for what? 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 This is all new. This is all weird. We are here for the Mai Tai Horror Hour inaugural edition. We're going to do four weeks of the Mai Tai Horror Hour. That was the Vivisectors. I have no idea what that introductory um, movie was. Do you know what that is, Matt? I don't know. You know everything. I would have to hear it again, to be honest with you. Uh, we were not going to do that. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do <laughs> is talk about what awesome things we have planned for this episode. Hambone, Halloween! Halloween! Yeah, uh, so funny story. This is the second time we're taking a pass at this episode. So I'm not 100% sure what we're talking about tonight. I know we're leading in with Peninsula, the sequel to Train to Busan. And I know we're going to be talking about Return of the Living Dead, which is one of my all-time favorite horror movies ever. I know we're probably going to talk about Laura Jane Grace's new album, but then I don't know. You forgot the last one, Fargo. We're going to talk about oh, Fargo. Oh, yeah, we're talking about Fargo. Early, er, the same show again. Er, early thoughts on Fargo. With us today is our master of horror, Matt Giaquinto, Emmy award-winning master of horror. Hey, I have missed you, boys. How is everybody doing? We miss you so much, uh, Matt. Uh, it's been a great two days since last time we did this show. Ah, uh, sorry. I corrupted memory cards. Do you know how many people were really upset with that Instagram post I put today? Like, people were like, what do you mean? And I'm like, it's coming. We're going to redo it. I wasn't going to redo it. I really was just going to say, fuck it. That was a terrible episode anyway. But we are here. We are redoing it. I mean, we missed the part last, you know, on the original version where water started pouring through my ceiling on top of me while I was taping. And I had a cut. Wow. You know, that's after you left the show last week, Matt. It was pretty... Oh. Uh, Pretty insane. Cookies getting a bath? No, it was it was the cats spilling their automatic water fountain thing. Oh. Came into the basement. It was horrible. But uh, first of all, Hambone, do you have a cocktail for us? I do have a cocktail, and this cocktail is for the late great Eddie Van Halen. Uh, as many know, Eddie Van Halen passed just a few short days ago after a long fight with cancer. So I thought it only be fitting to make the theme cocktail. One for Mr. Edward Van Halen, and the cocktail is called Eruption. Oh. So this is the Eruption cocktail. It doesn't actually smoke or erupt. However, it'll go down nice and smooth. It's two ounces of whiskey, a half ounce of creme de cassis. So for those of you who might not know, that is a kind of a Courant-flavored liqueur, and that's the kind of thing that someone would bring to your house because they're re-gifting it to you. Well, now you've got a use for it. You are going to take that half ounce of creme de cassasse with two ounces of whiskey, whiskey or bourbon, dealer's choice, whatever you got lying around the house. You're going to slap it into a shaker with ice, shake that some bitch up, and strain it over some fresh ice in a rocks glass eruption. That sounds incredible, Hambone, and I don't know how to say that like creme de croquet either. Like I have no idea. I was just stumbling through it, hope no one noticed. That's usually my move. Oh, so you actually those bottles used. They... Those, I apologize. Those bottles used to fly off the shelf at the loop. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like orange curacao. I mean, you really use it for just like a mai tai, and that's about all I use it for. We're doing well. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii is blue curacao, right? That's Blue Carousel, Blue yeah. Carousel. Well, anyway, Eddie Van Halen has died. Uh, guitar legend, hero to many people. Been reading up a lot about it. I am not a huge Van Halen fan. I always found them to be a little bit pretentious. And I never liked David Lee Roth's voice, but I get what Eddie Van Halen means to the world. I guess we should touch on this a little bit. Matt, you're a guest here today. What, what does Eddie Van Halen mean for you? You're you're an old. You were around when, like, probably you were sure. old when that first <laughs> album came out. I mean, Come on, seriously, he's like in his 50s. Sure. Yeah, well, uh, you know what a lot of people forget to give Van Halen and Edward credit for is they, right time, right place, and they took hard rock, heavy metal, however you want to classify Van Halen, into the MTV age. Brand videos, uh, commercial, billboard charting, you know, something bands previous to them had never been able to accomplish uh I mean, when and when edward van halen was up on stage he didn't have 
a backup guitarist or an overlay guitarist sitting behind the, uh, the amps. He was out there every night breaking new ground. And I, you just got to give the fastest fingers in the West a hell of a lot of credit. Hey, I get it. That whole finger tapping thing he invented. He actually invented styles of playing. I don't think we've really had anyone invent new styles of guitar playing until like Tom Morello. Maybe. And I can't really think of anyone since. Lots of legendary guitar players, you know, from Jack White on on. But, like, other than Eddie Van Halen and maybe Joe Satriani, I don't know, who's way more wanky than Eddie Van Like, the fact is, like, of all the supreme guitar players, Eddie Van Halen's the last one who actually wrote hits. Because you can say what you want about, like, Steve Vai and Joe Satriani. They're not exactly writing hits right now. Eddie Van Halen, like, lead on Beat It. I mean, I'll never forget that. I love that. I get that. I didn't like Van Halen because I just didn't like David Lee Roth, and I didn't get the whole, like, hot for teacher thing. But Hambone, your thoughts? I, I I feel like you are a secret Van Halen nerd. I'm not a secret Van Halen nerd. I love Van Halen. I mean, the idea of there hasn't been, since they invented the guitar, people really coming up with new techniques and new ways to play it. The two-hand tapping guitar technique is something that had never before been done or seen. Like, to actually take an instrument that's been around since Christ left Pittsburgh and then reinvent <laughs> the way that you play that fucking instrument, that's no small feat. I mean, Eddie Van Halen, classic, you know, he was a classical musician in his head. He was a rock and roller on the stage. Uh, the things a dude can do, you know, I often talk about how they say Bob Mould plays guitar like he's got three hands. Eddie Van Halen plays the guitar like he's got four. And you're right, he did transcend the rock and roll scene into actual hit writing really at the forefront of the MTV generation, partially because, you know, he's got David Lee Roth out there doing all the jumps and all the faces while he's behind him making it all work and come together. You know, arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest guitar player of all time. And just when people are revering the man as God himself on the six string guitar. He puts the guitar down. He picks up a keyboard and has the band's biggest hit to date with jump. So, I mean, there's so much that can be said about Eddie Van Halen. You know, I I've made the, the statement before that, you know, smashed by the offspring is an album that launched like a thousand kids picking up guitars, to start punk rock bands. Eddie Van Halen probably got a million kids picking guitars up, getting them to start rock and roll bands and failing miserably at two hand tap and guitar technique. Cause that's hard, man. It is not easy. So, you know, I loved Van Halen. I loved them more with David Lee Roth than I did with Sammy Hagar. If you're looking for a cool primer on Van Halen, you could just literally go to Apple Music or to Spotify and just look for an essentials list. And then once you dive into that, start at Van Halen 1 and start working your way up to 1984. You will not be sorry. Hey, Matt, do you know uh, You know what a, quite a few women have told me? Oh, What's that? That uh, Hambone ha makes Fuck love me. Like he has two penises. <laughs> Jesus Christ, George. You set yourself up for that a little bit. I did not. You had to make it weird. <laughs> you did. And then I spent the last few minutes pondering what that actually would look like. And now <laughs> and now here we are. Here we are, Hambone. I am so punch drunk this week. It's going to just be a crazy few weeks of phone launches for me. And I'm not, I'm not excited for it. But I am excited for this show. Uh, I'm excited to talk about if, it. Go ahead, Matt. If I could. Oh, yeah. Just to, you know, since it is this is kind of movie based, a lot of people don't realize this. But when Marty McFly approaches George McFly and pretends to be Darth Vader, that is an original brand new solo by Eddie Van Halen recorded specifically for the movie Back to the Future. You mean that also, was that wasn't like Johnny B. Bad by like Chuck Berry or something? No, no, no. When he appears on George McFly's bed, he's, I am Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan, and he puts, he puts in the tape, on. and it says Edward, it says Eddie Van Halen, and that was oh. they brought him in. You know, he recorded a brand new solo, and he calls it just noise. But every you know, how do you not love that scene? Yeah, and then in Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted were like, we would be the greatest band in the world if sure. we had Eddie Van Halen on guitar. But Ted, how could we have Eddie Van Halen on guitar if we don't have a sweet video? Well, how are we going to have a sweet video without Eddie Van Halen on guitar? <laughs> I mean, like, it's fucking fantastic. I, I, yeah, and uh, <laughs> according to Ed Solomon, the writer, one of the co-writers, they tried to get uh, Eddie in for a cameo for the most recent Face the Music, and... Um, Obviously, he wasn't physically up to filming anything last year as 
uh, he's been declining a lot recently. Yeah. Uh, so moving on from uh, one dead person to zombies, we watched <laughs> Peninsula this week. Uh, Hambone did not because I tried. Hambone uh, subtitles, big fingers. I don't know. He was stuck somewhere. Something happened. But, you know, here we are. Uh, me and Matt, however, watched it. Uh, for what it's worth, Hambone, I think it's a movie that you could wait till you find the dub version. It's okay. It's okay. I think this is a, a, a decent movie, but I feel that Matt has different thoughts. Just to just to, before Matt just jumps in and does Matt, we are going to, I just want to lay the groundwork. This is the sequel to Train to Busan, a fantastic Korean uh, zombie movie that came out a few years back. We actually watched in Hambo's basement for the first time ever. Uh, incredible, incredible movie about uh, fast zombies attacking people on a train and they're just running from the back of the train to the front of the train and there's zombies everywhere and fast zombies and there's not much really else to it other than it's really, really good. This is a different story. This is the story of a uh, kind of like a, a, a hitman, not even a hitman, he's kind of like just like a guy who's being hired to break back into South Korea to which has been overwhelmed by zombies like Korea's just been lost there in Hong Kong and he's got to break back into the country to somehow find this truck full of money to bring it back to a drug lord I know that's this is almost like as convoluted as from like when he went from raid redemption to raid two right Matt like is this like a level of convoluted storytelling it's it has if you're expecting a sequel to train to Busan throw that out it, it it the movie does take place in the same universe but none of the same characters it the storyline takes place about four years after uh and it, you know south korea is a peninsula hence the title of the movie but where i thought raid 2 really expounded its characters i found this one to be kind of paper thin uh, i i i I got to agree with you. I got to agree with you. The big hook here is he gets back onto the island. He is being overwhelmed by zombies and like mercenaries. Uh, there's like some like other drug lords that have taken over the zombie universe. And he's rescued by two children who know how to handbrake like a motherfucker. These two, <laughs> handbone, handbone. This is the thing. Like these two kids and they're in this like a blazer or something. And it could be like a Lincoln, I don't know, but they're the navigator and they're just like hand breaking and turning the SUV into a fucking battering ram into like side swipe. Like they're just like drifting into zombies. It's like like the Fast and the Furious meets like fucking Return of the Living Dead, I guess. And I, it, 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 he, they rescue him and, and then he like finds they have a family and his family is living in the zombie world and, and they're, uh, they need to like help him get the money. Uh, and, and, and I don't know where this plot was just all over the place. I loved, what I loved about this movie was the crazy CG that looked almost like I was watching a video game. Now, as a professional award winning, Emmy award winning editor, Matt, can you explain to me what this weird effect was during the action scenes in this movie? Well, the, after the success of Train to Busan, they gave uh, original... It's the same director, and he's back, and his name is Yong Sang-ho, and they doubled his budget. Train to Busan was $8.5 and Peninsula was $16 million, And what they... I mean, just because I didn't like the movie doesn't mean... it like. Fast and the Furious meets zombies is the perfect description. This is a wall-to-wall, nonstop action movie. And what it appeared to me is that they did a lot of what's called day-for-night shots. They shot during the day, and this is becoming more commonplace in productions, and then they colorize it to make it appear as if it took place at night. Now, the downside of that is that technology is not perfected, so it tends to look a little wonky, uh, a little PlayStation 3 uh, video game level. And perhaps that was the director's choice I mean, because the action is nonstop. It is similar to a video game. Uh, so it's not surprising that the effects would reflect that. I uh, I agree. I, I thought um, 
it was just weird. It was very weird. I didn't know how to explain it. It looked like kind of like a video game. It looked almost like uh, the Dire Straits video from when we were kids, the Money for Nothing video. Was that the one that had oh, like wow. the weird animation? Yeah. Yes. Money for nothing. Yeah. It, it felt almost like that, except with zombies and like, you know, lots of hand breaking. I. I love Train to Busan. I didn't love Peninsula, but I thought it was a good, it wasn't a bad action zombie movie. I feel yeah. that it was a, 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 kind of like a bookend to um, Hashtag Alive, which we reviewed a couple weeks ago, which was more of a uh, quieter zombie movie where it's one person or two people in one location trying to get away from zombies. More of a simpler tale. This is more like, I am legend the zombie movie in Korea. Yes, absolutely. And now anytime you put the words horror and South Korean filmmaking together, you already have my interest. I'm already sold. I'm going to watch it. I love the horror movies that they do. And this is just, it's a different kind of movie if you're expecting a sequel to Train to Busan. To me, this felt more like a, a calling card for the global cinema or Hollywood uh, that this kid can direct big action set pieces, which is true. I personally feel if you want to see a better example of his work, I believe the movie he made in between Train to Busan and Peninsula is called Psychokinesis. It's a weird superhero-esque movie. I believe it's on Netflix. I highly recommend seeking that out if you like this guy's style. Uh, absolutely. I will check that. I do like his style. I do like... I, you know, again, Train to Busan is one of the best zombie movies I've ever seen. So I'm, I'm psyched to see what else he does. Uh, I, 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 I have a tough time with fast zombie movies. I, I think we've talked about this in the past, but I'm just like, I don't understand how you actually make a movie where the zombies have no, they're, you know, like the Terminator, like, and there's a lot of them and they fucking can't be like, it's very hard to kill something when it's like relentless. And I know I would probably be screwed. Like, you know, you just can't just. You know, weed them out with like even guns don't help because you just can't aim. And I, I find it very it's a very tough crutch for uh, someone who's trying to escape into the movie like Hambone. How do you escape fast zombies? Uh, I don't. I die. I hate to break it to you all. But if the zombie apocalypse happens and it's fast zombies or in any way, shape or form that I have to run up and down flights of stairs, I'm fucked. So I love you all. And this is me making my peace with it. Matt, how about you? How do you survive fast zombies? I don't. I agree with Hambone. I I don't think you do. And I'm going to quote um, the immortal Max Brooks, obviously Mel Brooks' son. He wrote the awesome book World War Z uh, and the guide to surviving a zombie apocalypse. And he says, if it's fast zombies we're talking about, just put your head between your legs. There's no way you survive that. The swarm, like the in World War Z, speaking of the way they swarm, I don't. I don't see how you would survive it. I mean, it's. <laughs> Like angry ants or something. Angry ants. There you go, Hambone. Angry ants. I'm I'm here for it. Uh, we wanted to uh, kind of tie our zombie movie. We're trying to theme this out a little bit for uh, the Halloween season. Uh, but we want to talk about a an epic classic. Matt suggested Return of the Living Dead. I had never watched it before. I've watched Night of the Living Dead. I thought this was a sequel. It is not a sequel, though it does kind of take place in the same universe. This is a very punk rock movie where you have uh, angry punk rockers in graveyards and you have morticians and you have people with boxes full of zombies. It's kind of like binders full of women, but boxes full of zombies. I'm sorry. I was just thinking about that, the debates the other night. Uh, but here we are. Oh, Ret Jesus. Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> We're not going to review the debates. I'm not. I don't have it in me. But uh, let's talk about Return of the Living Dead. Matt, can you cue us up a little bit? You're, as the elder statesman here, most, both me and Hambone were, you know, under 10 years old, possibly fetuses uh, when Return of the Living Dead came out. But you, you, this was like the twilight of your life. Uh, I, you I saw it. I, I saw it in theaters. When <laughs> oh, it first fuck. Came I was kind of hoping you'd work your way out of that, but you didn't. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> theaters. Yeah. No, I remember when this movie came out, what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, Night of the Living Dead by the god George Romero was made in 1968, and that was co-written by John Russo. Russo and Romero had a falling out over the division of profits during the making of Dawn of the Dead, and so a legal decision was, you know, amicable divorce where Russo could create titles with the moniker The Living Dead. So he, his first script 
was actually designed to be a direct sequel of Night of the Living Dead, and it was to be filmed by Toby Hooper, coming off of you know varying degrees of success with Poltergeist, and it was going to be shot in 3D. This didn't pan out so much. Hooper left to go shoot Life Force. Excellent. Excellent. Another zombie movie. That's crazy. But um, they brought in Dan O'Bannon, who co-wrote the first Alien. He worked with Carpenter and acted in uh, Carpenter's first film, Dark Star. And he even did some miniature work on uh, the first Star Wars. So the man knows his way around a genre picture. And he's a fantastic writer. And he was brought in to take a pass at the script. And he felt that it almost betrayed Romero too much. And so he took on the project and rewrote it to be the, it, it, it is kind of like one of the earliest forms of meta as, as George just referenced, they do talk about how in this movie, the movie night of the living dead exists. And so it, that's kind of like they're launching off point uh, as the, as the story begins. So brains, lots and lots of brains, lots and lots of angry zombies in this movie. I thought it was definitely both hilarious, yet kind of disturbing because the zombies are actually very well done for what, 1984? Hambo, I feel like you watch this movie quite a bit. I just feel like this is a movie you like watch four times a year. I've watched this movie four times a year. I've seen this movie well over 100 times in my life. I love Return of the Living Dead. Return of the Living Dead, as a zombie movie goes, it, it's Matt's right. It, it's just such a nod and a wink to the classic Romero-style zombie movie, but goes off in its own direction. Like it, it lets you know that it's in on the joke, and then it runs. And it was cool because it is very small. When you think of zombie movies, especially later zombie movies, how they, they cover a lot of distance over the course of the movie. Like, this whole movie takes place over, like, a city block where it goes from, like, the graveyard to the mortuary, which is in the graveyard, to the medical supply company, which is a parking lot away. Like, it's a very small scope with a very big impact. And it's the kind of thing where, like, you put the movie on and it starts, it takes place the 3rd of July and you put the movie on and it's one of those things you immediately get sucked into the world. And it's the kind of movie that's going to make you put your phone down. Not that anything so dramatic happens in this movie that if you miss it, you're going to miss something. You just kind of want to watch this movie and you just enjoy watching this movie. It's very well put together. The sequels, not so much. And that's an, a point to be argued for another day. Uh, about a week or two ago, my girlfriend and I, we watched Return of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead 2 back to back. And oh. it was definitely diminishing returns. <laughs> but it's a very unique zombie movie. And it's got a killer soundtrack. It's got such a good punk rock soundtrack with like TSOL. The cramps are on there. I mean, it is a great it's a classic movie, and there's so many reasons why it's an iconic classic zombie movie. We're playing some of the uh, that that weird, almost like Carpenter-esque soundtrack. I think it's the soundscape to the graveyard right now. But uh, you're right. You're right. On top of that, you have a ton, ton of great punk rock uh, bands that are part of the soundtrack. You have you have full frontal nudity for an extended period of time, which as a child I probably would have endured. Well, Actually, technically, yeah, Quigley, it looks like it. It looks like she is fully naked, but they have a like little one-piece like G-string on her that was painted in to give the impression that if you blink or you'll miss it, you'd miss seeing her vagina. But really, it is actually barely covered uh, the entire time. But she it's is actually, very, very topless. It's a latex cup that fit, oh, okay. that fit over her VJ. The the first some of the her strip scenes shots that was the first thing that they shot and the producers just happened to be on set that day as what usually happens if there's nudity on the schedule all the money guys come down to the sets <laughs> um they flipped out and uh so you can see if, if that's your thing if you're a mr skin you can see some shots of her with jj but after that the effects guys had to create a latex kind of plastic cup 
to fit over her because they didn't want it to technically be true full frontal nudity. So they gave her a Barbie vajayjay. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, just kind of like the, the smoothness. Anyway, uh, great movie. I really enjoyed it. It was the first time I saw it ever. Uh, I thought it was – the special effects I thought were incredible. Uh, I assume, considering this is 84, that that was all – that was all real special effects. Yes. Oh, yeah, 100%. All, all practical. And yeah. and people, since we were talking about fast zombies, people often will give the Dawn of the Dead remake a lot of shit because it's Snyder and they're fast moving and stuff. But people often forget this was the first movie in which zombies did not just shamble around. They run, they navigate doorknobs, they talk. And this is also the origin of zombies only eating brains and saying the word brains. Hey, Matt, Matt, I, I got a yeah. question for you. I got a very important question for you. Are you trying to tap Morse code to the zombies with your microphone? Because like, <laughs> if you tap your desk or that microphone one more time, I will just oh, dump... Oh, I'm not even touching my desk. Oh, oh you know what that was? Oh, I'm sorry. That was my cat walking on the table. I apologize. It's all good. It's all good. Cats are allowed. To, I'll kill the cat if it does it again. I will feed it to you, Matt. Do not <laughs> tap the desk ever again. I'm so anal. Uh, so I saw a movie that we didn't talk about in the first time on the show, but I feel I, and I felt upset that I didn't talk about it. Uh, Hambone, by the way, is laughing his ass off in the text about this. That was your, so that was Hambone's joke, the Morse code. I had to steal it. I apologize. But, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And, you know, you, you like to make uh, noises, Matt. You like to make noises. I'm a loud person. I am a very loud, active person. Well, at least you, to be fair, at least you're not cutting off uh, Hambone quite as much this time. So I do appreciate you for that. And, and, there, and there's, you know, it's kind of we are. So the Netflix uh, dropped a, what I thought was a TV show, but it was actually a movie called American Murder, Family Next Door. Hambone, do not watch this movie. Do not. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm stopping you, you now. Matt you might want to. So I have hit a point in my life. I try to explain this to my wife where horror movies don't do much for me. Like I could watch. I could watch anything, and it doesn't really affect me. Jump scares obviously get me a little bit, but not. I am. I could watch a Hereditary. I can watch a a a movie like um like uh what's the one with the girls? The skinning of the girls. Um, where they skin hostel? them? Hostile, but that's not hostile. It's like hostile. I'm blanking. Martyrs, like martyrs. Oh, I can watch yeah. stuff like that, and it doesn't really bother me anymore. Like it's really tough right now for me to find a horror movie that I get. And it, 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 it affects me. What affects me right now, it, truth be told, is documentaries. Really, really fucked up situations where I'm like, oh, that's real and it involves kids. Yeah, that's going to fuck me up. Um, so, And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just I'm a horror fan. So you get a little bit, you get a little bit uh, anesthetized to, to movies and, and horror after a while. Well, this is a really fucked up show. I, know, I had no idea going into it what it was about. But it's a story from a couple years back of... This wife and her two kids, very young, like five and six, maybe four and five, that disappear. And the husband calls it in after a, a co-worker says she hasn't come to work. And the cops come in. And basically, it. I, I don't want to really ruin it, so I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. Uh, obviously, if any of this is a trigger for anybody, don't watch this documentary. But it's basically trying to find out like how, what happened to her and the unfolding and the fucked upness of what happened to her and the children. And like, it's I'm not going to reveal the story. Let that have, you know, if you're into true crime, watch this. But what's amazing is that they used not found footage, but all the footage they used to recreate everything was from her Facebook and his Facebook and her Instagram and her social and her texts. So they didn't need to do recreations of scenes. They didn't have to do like, which I hate. I am a huge, I just can't stand when they recreate stuff. It was all literally their life told through their social and body cams of the cops, like the cops' body cams, which was really creepy. But that's an incredible way to tell a story in documentary. Have you ever seen anything like this, Matt, knowing that you edit a lot of different type of reality television? I, You know what? And this is indicative of the more people's lives are going online, as I am seeing more and working on more documentaries in which everything that has been put up as social media becomes content for the movie, which I think is fantastic because, yes, 
we even us editors we hate the recrees oh there it's just it's never done right it's never done well it's just terrible yeah this um because the woman the the mother and the kids are not represented in this obviously they can't be interviewed like the husband can or the friends or the neighbors she's not in there she's dead or missing or whatever and the kids are missing and whatever but you hear her story just through the reading of her text and the and again the visuals and all the videos she shot for instagram stories and this and that and it is very powerful and very moving it makes it very troubling to watch um, my, if I, anybody ever asked me, what's the one horror movie that gets me the most? And Alice and I had an argument over whether it's even a horror movie. It's, it's Dear Zachary, the documentary. Have you ever seen that, Matt? Yes, I have. And that is, I, just because it's a documentary doesn't mean it's not horror. I agree. I, I agree a hundred percent. That is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my life. It, I've never seen double swerves in a documentary. Like literally there was like. Uh, uh, it's insane how many swerves that that story takes and anyone out there who wants to see the most powerful moving troubling horrifying movie ever it's dear zachary uh i, I can't even speak about it without it like bothering me this isn't that bad but this is bad because you don't see it coming either it's a very weird it, th uh if you've seen the um that HBO story about that guy, that rich guy who was very rich and had a lot of ton of money because he's rich. Uh, and Allison right now is going, oh, my God, you forgot the name of it. But it's it's the story of how he's like kind of like a serial killer. And he admits it on cam on hot mic off camera on the HBO documentary in the last episode of the documentary. He's like, ah, they'll never catch me or something like that. And, oh, Robert Blake. Yeah, Robert Blake. I forgot no, the no, name. Uh, Fred Dur Robert Durst. Robert Durst. Robert yeah. Blake. Robert Durst. I don't remember the name of the documentary though. But Fred Durst. I don't know. This Not is very <laughs> this is very similar to that situation where it's like, dude, you're on camera, you're an idiot, and you're just talking. Um, but that's what I saw. And I just want to just kind of just express a little bit of what type of horror gets me. It's not feel bad movies I love. It is just that for me, horror is tougher right now to like I could watch Human Centipede, it does nothing. Like it just doesn't affect me in any way, shape, or form. But um, you know, Hereditary did. Hereditary was the last one that did get me. But I still think that's an incredible piece of art, and I do enjoy it. And I saw it again, and I can't believe I saw it again. But it is a great movie. So anyway, we can move on from that. Matt, well, we I was going to say, go ahead, hand. I, I'm I sorry. went in a completely different direction on Netflix. Oh, you did. We're still reviewing things. Go ahead. Yeah, well, why not, man? It's a, it's, a, it's a whole new episode. It's a redo, <laughs> but it's it's a reimagining, like Evil Dead 2. So uh, my 31, which is now like 62 days of Halloween, I've been watching like nothing but like horror and spooky things. And I've decided to expand it because it is the eighth day of October and I'm already at 33 uh, different kinds of like horror movies or horror documentaries and shit like that. So I've accepted that, like, you know, I ultimately end up watching Hocus Pocus. So my Halloween thing is now going to be like horror movies plus spooky TV shows and spooky movies as well, or like fun Halloween movies because I'm going to run out of gas at a certain point, but I will hit like 62, mark my words. So last night I watched Hubie Halloween on Netflix. The oh, Adam I was going to hold that till next week so we could talk about it together because I want to watch it. Oh, you should watch it. We'll talk about it next week, but it was delightful. Okay, so let's do oh, it that. Nice. So so we'll do an early review. You liked it. It's worth watching. We should do it for next week. It's a dumb movie. It's a movie where you're going to put it on, you're going to laugh at the dick and fart jokes. I, <laughs> ca I kind of wanted to have something a little bit funny after like the zombie week, so I was like, this, all right, let's go for that. This is a palate cleanser for sure. All right, we'll review that one next week. I, I appreciate you, though, for bringing that. But I knew that's where you were going when I started talking about Netflix. I'm like, fuck. But you see, the movie I saw that. I would not have made you watch, so that's why I was Thank like, God. I can go that I don't route. Want to be sad. No, that would be a, definitely a sad one, Matt. It's always a pleasure. I think we could touch on one more thing while we do have you, though. Hey, the news that Tenet pretty much killed the movie industry and the death of the Royal Cinemas. What do you think about all that? It's it's not surprising, but sad as hell. Uh, I mean, it, it, comedy and horror to see a movie on a big screen in a audience having the same collective experience, I think elevates a lot of horror movies and it elevates the experience and the joy and the fear. Uh, wow. Um, sorry. Did you just I, get uh, emotional? Yeah, it, it, it does. 
it, it bothers me because people don't realize when you watch a movie on your phone or your or your laptop, it's you know, it's not just the director, it's the camera, it's the actors. That's how people shot it to be seen on a on a on a, at least a decent sized screen, not on your n not on your phone. It's not meant to be watched that way. It drives me nuts when somebody watches a movie on their phone and then comes back to me and says, Oh, that movie sucked. How could you tell? It, I mean, it's I don't think movie theaters will go away completely, but this took a big hit. Yeah. This was a this I don't think people realize how bad this was. So what's the name of the parent company? I know it's Royal Theaters here, but there is another name for it's it. It's Regal Cinemas. Regal Cinemas. Regal Cinemas and Cinemark over Cinemark. Yeah. Cinemark is what yeah. I was thinking of. Cinem they announced that they are um indefinitely closing theaters. Uh they realized that the reopening was not a smart move. There's just not enough movies right now to justify having these movie theaters open. It's there's no movies. There's no movies. They thought Tenet was gonna be that silver bullet's gonna solve everything. New mutants. Well no. No, no one thought no one outside of Christopher Nolan thought Tenet was going to fix the fucking problem. <laughs> Matt you know, did. I think Matt I think that or was it George. Worse. Was it George? No, no, it, it wasn't me. <laughs> the Immortal Words of Shaggy. Where's that move? But you know, I, I mean, in the end of the day, the only there are a couple kids movies that like with the success of what they did with Trolls World Tour earlier in the year, I'm confident they're just going to get yanked and put on VOD. The only AAA movie coming out the this year that is still left on the slate and it's left on in the faintest pencil marks is wonder woman 1984 on christmas day i cannot imagine that they are going to let that shit fly and flop at the theaters on christmas day when everything else has been bumped to 2021 or beyond yeah and and i i do feel like the first quarter if not the first half of 2021 is also gonna be fucked i mean people are just not going to the movies and yeah and it, it's not there's nothing that and i gotta be honest with you i think first of all tenet was not gonna be wonder woman or or you know black widow or or 007 either even i i think it, it people were a little we're overselling this a little bit i think this was more gonna be a a christopher nolan wank fest that might be huge but also very likely could not be and this just didn't help anything. If this was 007, if this was a real blockbuster going, I still think it would have tanked. Like, I just don't feel like there's a movie that would, like, really get me to go back to the, Like, there's nothing I could think of that would be, like, an Avengers-level event for me to, like, risk my life to go see. So, and the, sorry. I mean, here's the thing. He made, for The Dark Knight Rises, $800 million-plus, right? But that was 2012, and it's been diminishing returns for him ever since. And by diminishing, I mean he's still making hundreds of millions of dollars when they put his films into theaters. But he's not going to ever hit that mark again because the landscape is different than it was in 2012. 2012, The Dark Knight was the only game in town. But now you've got not just the DC universe that you're competing with. You've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So right off the bat, like it is harder to make that much money on one single character in one story than it used to be. Because also over the course of the last eight years, like Matt said, people are watching shit on their phones or watching a lot of shit that they're pirating and watching on their laptops in bed. So the whole theater going experience has been in kind of decline for several years now. And the audacity that one movie was going to save the entire film industry was fucked from the start. Do, so do you think like, it wasn't going to happen? Do you think 007 killed the movie industry? I mean, that's kind of what did this one in. I mean, he does have a license to kill. Oh, <laughs> that was good. That was good. Matt, you were going to say something before we uh, we, we, yeah. we wish you would do. Okay. Yes, actually, what Hambone just said uh, about Christopher Nolan, what nobody's talking about is the people who did go see Tenant were raving about it. I mean, he's always had prob I don't I, not problems. He knows how to audio mix, but his movies you you can't hear what's going on and I'm not sure how successful this film would have been if there was no pandemic. Yeah. I, I look I agree. I agree. I mean, it probably would have at least made his money back. We'll see what happens there, but uh, Matt, have you seen Fargo yet, the TV show, the new season? I I did not see the new season. I'm I'm I you and McGregor really left a bad taste in my mouth, and I know he's no longer on the show, but I just thought it was such a dick move what he did to his wife and kids by 
uh, hooking up with his Fargo co-star in front of his wife. And I just, you know, I know the show shouldn't be blamed for that, but, and I know I must need to get back into it, but uh, I have my issues. So with that, we're going to let you go. I just want to see if maybe you saw it. We would leave you on. But, you know, you have this weird thing with real world. We are, me and Handbone live in a fantasy world. So we are okay with Fargo, even if someone's cheating on someone. No, I'm just fucking with you, Matt. I love you. We will have you on again soon. This is our month of Halloween. This is Halloween. This is my Thai horror hour. And uh, we love having you on. Uh, Matt, is there any place kids can reach you? Or are you really just like a boomer with absolutely no social presence? No, whatsoever? no. Actually, I, I do have a little something. It, um, you could check out. Um, I've been helping out a friend of mine. His name is Mark L. Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. Just do a Google search on Mark L. Miller writes. And he, uh, I've been consulting with him doing this uh, best of horror for the, the countdown for the month of October. And he posts 62 movies, one for the countdown and one extra bonus one. Uh, and it is a tremendous resource. If you don't think you know there's any good horror movies this year, you're wrong. Uh, there's been a lot of foreign movies. There's been a lot of under-the-radar kind of horror movies. And so if you want a good place, a good resource for new titles, check it out. Thank you so much. You and your cat, go enjoy the rest of your evening. We loved having you on. You take care, buddy. I love you guys, and I miss you terribly. Later, buddy. We miss you, too. Bye-bye. Hambone. It's me. Well, I'm now we got, here. we got rid of the dead weight with the tapping. He's gone George. now. It's all good. George. It's all good. I love when we just like can a guest halfway through the show. No, nah, that's okay. Matt, Matt's a great guy. Not halfway guy. through. It's been going for like 50 minutes already, man. We're on it. We're not we're 50. Rolling. We're not. We're 41 minutes and 42 seconds. It's partially because it took forever to get Matt on. He has a microphone, though. How much better did he sound other than the tapping? I'm happy. Blamed on the cat. Of course he blamed on the cat. Uh, it's all good. So I think one of the things we should talk about, uh, we were talking about music last week. A lot of people enjoyed the music episode, which is amazing. But uh, we talked about how during this pandemic, people are going to be making a lot of acoustic music. I just found out uh, Green Day's Billy Joe Armstrong is recording, is releasing an album of his covers that he's been doing while quarantined. So we have that coming up in a little bit. A bunch of other artists are working on stuff. Just, you know, there's a lot of creative Creative juice is flowing, and a lot of people have a lot of frustrations. Oh, Milo Aukerman. This I was not expecting. Three songs from Milo. It's called, uh, oh, shit, I forgot. It's a wacky play on ukulele, but it's him and a ukulele. Multiple ukuleles. Bass ukuleles, soprano ukuleles, other ukuleles, electric ukuleles. And he does three Descendants-esque songs on ukulele just about like how fucked the election is. And that was not that what I was expecting. Really on brand for Milo Ackerman. Yeah, yeah. I was like completely like, this is a little bit, this is not what I was expecting from him, but a great three track EP that's coming out. And Laura Jane Grace of Against Me just dropped a new album. Uh, and uh, all acoustic or acoustic with some digital digitalization, I guess. I'm like, I think there's strings and keys in there. I could be wrong, but I know there's some stuff going on besides just, it reminded me of Chuck Reagan and when he has like, you know, like the cello kicks in or something, but great, great new album. Uh, Hambone, your thoughts. I've been talking way too much this episode. No, that's cool, man. I've just been hanging back and just, you know, just digging the vibe, man. Swinging your two dicks. Uh, George. So uh, Laura Jane Grace's new record is called Stay Alive. It's fantastic. It is a 14-track record recorded at Steve Albini's Electric Audio, which is kind of, you know, when you think about what you can do in a pandemic where you're like, I'm going to work with this producer. They're on one side of a glass. I'm on the other side of the glass, and they're wearing a mask. And, you know, I think that's pretty neat. Uh, I think that the creative juices are flowing in a lot of people's brains because, when you are a creator of art, like what the fuck are you going to do when you can't really go anywhere? What can you do when you don't really have like the one, the wherewithal to want to leave your house or go anywhere or when you do and you can't like you have no excuse but to create. So this uh, album sounds like an exorcism of everything that Laura Jane Grace has been experiencing during this pandemic. And I think it's great. I think from start to finish, it is a solid, solid album. And, you know, I love Against Me. Like, I love Against Me. Uh, I really enjoyed the Devouring Mothers uh, side act. 
that came out like several a, months ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long I, ago. I, I, I struggle with time because I don't know. I mean, I thought we saw Bob Mould last year, but it was January. It actually happened this year. I, I think it's great. I think it's a great, great, great album, and I think it's an important album as far as if you are a fan of Laura Jane Grace's and you've followed the career as it's gone like through the years of Against Me and the development um, as a songwriter, really, really like, I would say that Laura Jane Grace is at the top of her game. Like, just amazing. I listened to this album and I felt good and I felt bad and I felt a lot of things. And I felt like there was a lot of what was going on in my own head kind of being brought out to the world. So I highly, highly recommend it. It is a very moody album. Mm-hmm. This is not the feel-good hit of the summer or the fall for that matter. However, it is a very timeless album, yet is very like time and place mm-hmm. at the same time. I mean, the title's called so, Stay Alive. I mean, that yeah. right there is what we're trying to do right now is basically keep ourselves and keep our family alive keep people from being sick. And I do agree this is moody. Uh, I I loved her solo album that she released many moons ago. Uh, I think it was a solo EP. And this kind of feels a lot like that. Obviously, you know, she's grown, she's changed. She's, she's definitely found more of her voice. And I do feel these songs are, are raw, but also just uh, more powerful, I guess is the word. Uh, that you know the, her, the the first solo album was definitely more in the vein of of a punk rock folk album. This one I think is while on the folksy side, I feel is more of a I don't know a love letter to quarantine uh, or a soundtrack to quarantine. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, good stuff. I really do. I do recommend this album highly. Uh, you can find it on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you find your albums. Maybe go to your favorite local record store and help them out by buying a copy on vinyl. Not quite yet. Uh, it's coming out in a little bit. I don't. I think they're taking pre-orders. I think a lot of these people are dropping these digital albums because everything's so backed up with COVID. Pressing yeah. plant, plants, record store days being like three, four months. I think that's screwed stuff up. So I think they don't want to wait. So they're doing what movies should probably be doing, which is release digital and then know that you're going to have a physical copy down the line. I do recommend that. I've been buying a lot of vinyl uh, months after the digital releases. But definitely, if I love a record, I will buy it on vinyl. It, it means that much to me. And I've been I mean, f- think about when you're a kid and you, how many times you bought, like I bought this on cassette and I bought it on CD and then you bought it digitally. So I think it's, very natural to ultimately buy the same album on multiple formats. (laughs) I think it's changed a little bit since streaming became a big thing because streaming is a platform and then you have whatever your favorite physical media is. I think we're less likely to get more physical media going forward. I think vinyl and streaming, it's kind of where it's going to be for a very long time. So I think that has changed and that is probably never to go back the way it was. Uh, Obviously with video, it's a little bit different, but I think the Blu-ray never even really caught on because it went from DVD to streaming, and while I do love 4K UHD uh, Blu-rays, it's not—it's a niche thing. I don't think it's quite a. It, I think physical media, other than vinyl, which I think will forever, just that's beyond nostalgia. Uh, I, I don't see a new physical format coming into existence. Do you? No, fucking not no. at all. What was the what was the format before Blu-ray? It was HD DVD? Well, there was the rival. Like- no, there was the rival. It was DVD and HD DVD, and those two were rivals, and it was a mess. I think there was also rivals with Blu-ray. I might be blanking right there, but uh, no, there was DivX and there was DVD, and then there was HD DVD and Blu-ray. You're right. Uh, yeah, but HD HD DVD got shot down real quick because the adult entertainment industry was like, "Yeah, we're not doing that. We're doing." We're going Blu-ray. Yeah, so that's where I just, I think it's, especially in the music, I mean, I had a mini-disc player. I had multiple mini-disc players. I was right there for it, and uh, that didn't happen. Anyway, I, I did enjoy this album. I do recommend it, and uh, everybody should go check it out. I also highly recommend Fargo is back. Season 4 has returned. It has been years since the last Fargo. I think it's been more than two years, but it has been a very long time. I feel that they needed to wait. They needed to cleanse the palate. They needed to let their stars go do their things and come back and and put out an incredible season. This time, they're back with Chris Rock and Jason Schwartzman. Who would have thought? Would you have thought? 
No, I was actually very surprised. I knew Chris Rock was in it, and I was excited. And then when Jason Schwartzman shows up, I was just like, wow, that came out of such like left field for for this show. But I thought that was a really good choice. And as the episodes go on, because in the days that have gone on since we first recorded this, I've now watched all the episodes. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a great choice. Great casting. Uh, do, do you enjoy do you? This is not like the previous Fargo's. I mean, this is the story of of different mob families different mob races of mob races that came out sounded weird but like different groups or of organized crime through the years and in in a particular city which i don't remember is it is it it's not fargo it's, a, it's missouri it's missouri and you know first it's the it's the jews and the hasidic jews and their and their organized crime and then they're defeated by the irish who are defeated by the italians and now the blacks are coming in to usurp, which I love to use that word. Never use it before Game of Thrones, but I use it a lot now. Uh, it's good work. The Italians, and it is incredible story of basically Chris Rock leading the the black uh, organized crime family. But it's like not really crime because like the weird like swerve here is that he's actually created the credit card because this takes place in the fifties. And he's like created the credit card. He's trying to sell banks on this like here's a card, and it's actually money. It makes people feel like they can spend money, but like they don't have to actually have money. They have to pay us back, and then there's interest. And it sounds like a giant Ponzi scheme. Like this is credit cards. Now I don't know the history of credit cards. I don't know if this is actually based on real stuff. That show always does say that this is based on a true story, but the names have changed. That's a lie, Hambone. I don't know if we've ever discussed that. But that's no, a complete lie. I was curious. Yeah, that's yeah. nothing here is based on reality. I, I read about it somewhere. They're like, yeah, that's just completely, there's nothing here in reality. Uh, but I'd be curious to know if there's any truth to that. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. There have been two, maybe three now, uh, hour and a half long episodes. These are really big episodes. And again, the acting is incredible. The story is very interesting. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it too, and I think they they do a very interesting take on the crime families, because with Jason Schwartzman at the time, and, and I will tell you this, I was watching it, and Jason Schwartzman's father in this show, you think he's having a heart attack? He is in a car with these with his people, and he lets out the most comedic sounding fart I have ever fucking heard on TV or movies ever. Like I'm still laughing just thinking about this fucking fart. It was hilarious. The sound designers on that show, great job on that comic fart. But Jason Schwartzman is really good in this because he's walking a line as a, a serious mobster, but at the same time, like he can't help but making the joke, which kind of takes you to a place where you're you're still got like one foot in the world of like Wes Anderson and the other in this like serious like Goodfellas style mob drama whereas you have Chris Rock whose character is a legitimate businessman who also happens to be a criminal so there's a lot of people who walk in different worlds in this season, uh, as well as some like really quirky, of course, they're like weird, quirky characters because it's Fargo popping up in there as well, including um, Timothy Oliphant from Justified. Oh, I've gone that far. Yes. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. he's in episode three. Oh, so excited. So excited. So anyway, this is an early review. If you love Fargo, if you love the first three seasons, if you like the movie, uh, this is more the same. It's just incredible writing, really weird, wacky stories, and it's it it's fun. It's very it's very FX. I mean, it feels like an FX show. I do love that they've been um, almost serialized, where it's different stories each season, but the feel is still there. It, if you again, if you love the Coen Brothers original, that this is it feels like it. I don't want to say it's the same. I think these seasons have been actually better than the original movie. But, um, you know, there, there, there's so much to that world that, that it's just, I love going back to it. I'm very excited it's back. I'm excited that they took, again, took some time to refresh, to write a great story. I wish Netflix would do that instead of just canceling shows the moment uh, a pandemic happens. Yeah, I've been reading up on that more. And it sounds, you know, obviously they're like, well, you know, safety concerns with big ensemble casts. But when it comes to a show like, say, Glow, which I was very disappointed that Glow got canceled. For those of you who don't know, Glow wrapped up season three. It's getting brought back for a fourth and final season. And now Netflix is like, nah, we're not going to do that. I, I get it at a point where it's like, hey, there is 
you know, escalating budgets as well as trying to get everyone booked on an ensemble show when you're dealing with not just maybe three or four actors or actresses, you're dealing with like 20 different people who are integral to the story and where they're going to go with everything getting pushed back. I, I can imagine that it's going to be a scheduling conflict. And that being said, you know, it also comes down to if you've got money and you want to spend it, you can make it happen. And it just doesn't sound like to me that Netflix wants to make some of these shows happen when they have a constant, you know, unlike HBO, where you have a finite number of shows that come out every season, right? With Netflix, they are constantly every week refreshing and adding new and new content. So for them, I don't I don't really know if it's in the model to have shows last that many seasons that they're paying for on their dime outside of Stranger Things, which is a cultural phenomenon. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, it sucks I, either way. And I feel like I feel like HBO Max is actually taking some risks, and I'm I'm kind of impressed with what they've put out so far. Uh, everything I've watched on there, I, I've really enjoyed. Uh, you know, we're watching The Vow now, where the two of us are watching. I don't know how the hell you're getting this many episodes out of one cult story where I still can't figure out what the crime is. But I am glued to that freaking show every week. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, they, they know really they really know how to end them to well, get you wanting more. I mean, I'm like, how is this even a show? They've yet to show what the crime is. I'm so far, it's just like a wacky adult sex cult where everybody's kind of like weird, but all kind of into it. Uh, I'm sure we're to get somewhere because there was a huge investigation and people were arrested. But I'm just a little bit shocked by that show. But I, I'm watching the third day. The third day was three insane episodes of a real, more of a Wicker Man cult with Jude Law. And then there is a, in between the first three episodes, which is summer, there is a 12-hour live stream called, I believe it's fall, uh, or autumn, sorry, autumn. And it is a 12-hour live stream that ties the autumn to then winter, which is a whole separate story that, that I'm still trying to figure out how it ties together with the first three episodes, a 12-hour live stream, Hambone, it's mostly uh, ambiance for quite a bit. You got like an hour of like Jude Law running through fields. It's weird. Uh, I have not gone through it yet. I kind of feel like I should because I'm really, really fascinated by this island in England of like, it's culty. It's a, look, it's the best version of Wicker Man I've seen yet, partially because there's no musical numbers, but also because <laughs> Midsummer did not do it for me. This is way better than both of those. Uh, I do recommend the the third day for you, Hambone. It is not. That's going to be a pass. Uh, really? Me. Why? 12 hour live feed. No, 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 no. Not the. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. The, the live stream's optional. That's not part of It's six episodes. You don't yeah, have to watch nah. the live stream. Nah, I, I, I'll pass. That's the idea that, you know, we're going to do this 12-hour live stream to tie it together. Sounds a little too lost to me, and that's going to be a no from me, my friend. Well, I'll, shouldn't you wait as a reviewer, as a professional reviewer, shouldn't you wait till the final episode and for me to give you the, like, this might be the best thing you ever see? Oh, yeah. But as of now, I'm going to tell you no. But it's what's great is that you're going to watch it, so I don't have to, which is what I do with Netflix for you. Uh, well, technically, you did it for movies for me, but that's a fail for uh, the immediate future. Uh, well, that is not my fault at all, is it? No, blame, it is not. It is you not. Blame Mr. COVID. I can't. I can't. I'm so over Mr. COVID right now. I just. <laughs> I'm so done. I'm so done with everything. I'm so done for this uh, this phone season to be over. Anyway, Hambone, I appreciate you as always. I think this was a much better take of the episode. This I is the better one. About it. I think yeah, this is the better I one. I was the universe was telling us, do it again. I was I, I was meaner to Matt, but you I also so got mean. but that double dick joke was so much better than anything I said <laughs> last Christ time. George. Yeah. And I was just the picture, I'm like, what would he do with two penises though? Like would it just I need like, bigger pants. Yeah, yeah. I always get feel bad for that. Did you ever read that Rolling Stone article about the guy with the thirteen inch dick? What, John Holmes? No, 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 no. This was like a random, like a guy, like like this is not a porn star. This is someone who was just born with thirteen inch penis. And like what his life there was like. Problems, you know. I mean, shit, dude. That thing is like down to your knee. You can't hide that thing. You need like one like extra large side. What what side of your pants do you put it down? I think you, you buy Jenkos. It's the obvious choice here. But I think that when you have a thirteen inch dick, you're not really worried about hiding it. I guess so. so. I mean, you know, women don't Still have like thirteen inch vagina tubes. I mean, seriously, buddy. I mean, I don't know. Though I will one last thing. The boys that episode with the guy with like his mutant power was his dick. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> 
That was pretty awesome. I can't wait to talk about the boys finale. Anyway, Hambone, uh, great having you on. How can the kids reach you? Fuck me, man. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Handbreaker. I tweet about board games. I tweet about cute animals and Dungeons & Dragons. You can follow me on Instagram. I don't post much these days, but I'm still there. Uh, at John Hambone McGuire. You know, I post about shit. George, where can the kids find you? You can find me at GLK Creative on the Twitter. You can find me at GLK Creative on the Instagram. Uh, cultofgeorge.com is my blog. I am uh, the whole, uh, whole entire archive of 182 episodes is at mytitv.com. We are here each and every week to bring you the best in pop culture for weirdos. Hambone, tell them to rate, review, and subscribe. Do it. Do it. Everyone rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We've been doing it for a long fucking time. We've been putting our hearts and souls into entertaining you for years now. So if you don't mind, please go over to wherever you subscribe to your podcast and just slap on a five-star rating. Do not be a dick and, you know, undersell it. Because, look, if you're there already, you might as well put five stars in it. So put it on a five-star rating. Rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it. Because, you know, we have fun hanging out together. And we're always happy that you're listening to us hanging out having fun talking about weird shit so rate review and subscribe do it all right take us out take us out everybody remember be nice wear a fucking mask socially distance yourselves aloha (laughs) 